0: What idea have ye that be better than the ideas of 100 of our fallen Master Builder brothers? Well... uh, Well, technically I'm not exactly a Master Builder yet. What?! Please, everyone, everyone! Please! (laughs) Rubbish! Yes, it's true. I may not be a Master Builder. I may not have a lot of experience fighting or leading or coming up with plans or having ideas in general. In fact, I'm not all that smart. And I'm not what you'd call a creative type. Plus, generally unskilled. Also, scared and cowardly. I know what you're thinking. He is the least qualified person in the world to lead us. And you are right. That's just supposed to make us feel better. Well, th- th- there was about to be a but. You were a but. Yes. You all be on your all own. Right, so we are covering 2 Corinthians. Um, and our journey now begins with chapter 4. But before we go into chapter 4, let's do a quick review of the first three chapters. So chapter 1. What was chapter 1 all about? Well, Paul provided the foundations in finding comfort in God. And each subsequent chapter, apparently, Paul provides us with tangible and relatable situations that he faced that made him in need of God's comfort. All right. So what were the foundations? Well, first of all, remember, Paul, right in chapter one, well, how did he feel? He felt that he was sentenced to death. That's what he said. So which means that he was in depression, he had anxiety, and he was was about to have a nervous breakdown, literally. So... What were the foundations then? He kicked it off with reminding himself and reminding us that there are three. Three foundations that we need to depend on, that we could lean on to start building comfort in God, to start building comfort in God. Like Why I say that is because all of us are different and unique in our own spaces, but we need foundations to build upon. So what are the foundations to build upon to build comfort in God? So he goes like this. Number one, he says the first foundation that that he needs to remind himself and to also remind us is that Jesus suffered so we suffer. Jesus suffered so we suffer and therefore Jesus is the perfect candidate to suffer alongside with us. So meaning that we do not suffer alone when we suffer. Whether whether we feel alone right now or whether we don't really have many friends here what we could really count on is that because Jesus suffered he suffers with us right now. If we're suffering right now, he suffers alongside with us. Number two, Paul depends on this promise, God's promise in delivering us from suffering. God said yes. He said yes. When Jesus said it was done, it is finished, that was a firm yes and affirmation that God will deliver us. Now, whether it be now, today, or tomorrow, or a week, or a month, or whatever, or even at death, because death is a deliverance, he still will always fulfill his promise that God will deliver us. And that's what Paul says. He reminds himself of this foundation. God will deliver me. I will have this glorious body at the end, guaranteed for me, because he will deliver me. It's a firm yes. Lastly, what's the last foundation? It's the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is A guarantee, a deposit, a guarantee that what Jesus done on the cross and rose to life, sealed and given us a deposit to guarantee that our glorious body is awaiting us. That right in the end when we pass away or when Jesus comes, we have a glorious body awaiting us. Each of us have our own individual glorious body in the Holy Foot Locker. All right? It's like there's a locker in in heaven. There's a body there awaiting us, and it's true. Just go and look at the scriptures. Like, and it's waiting for us. And then when we, when Jesus comes or when we pass, we have it. And that, and how do we know? Is that Paul says there is the deposit, that seal of the Holy Spirit. It was already paid by Jesus, and it's awaiting for us. It's waiting for us. All right, let's move on then. So, how about chapter two? What was chapter two, chapter two about? Well. This was one situation where Paul needed comfort. And one hint was that it involved the proverbial poop that hit in the fan, right? Something happened, right? There was this individual, and he called it, and it was a man, a man in the church, and it was, he caused a lot of problems for Paul. And Paul responded, he thought, you know, Paul thought that he responded well, but apparently it got lost in translation. Right? How many, and when we used an example, it was an, like it's like an email, right? There was an issue, you're like the, the manager or something, you're part of the whole team that's trying to resolve this. You send out this email, you think, okay, that will solve it. And then on the other end, they misinterpreted it. And then things got worse. And it you send another email, and then another email comes back, and then a text, and then suddenly HR gets involved, and then everything goes haywire. I think some of us can nod and say that happened. Right? It's just, it, Paul thought it would have solved it, but it didn't, and it got worse and worse and worse, so the proverbial poop just kept hitting the fan, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. So what, so how did Paul find comfort in this? How did, how did he start, first of all, how did he start to, to resolve this problem, and how did he find comfort in this? Well, he depended on one particular foundation, and that was that we all suffer together. As a body of Christ, As Crucible Church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we all suffer together because Jesus suffers with us. That's that foundation. If Jesus is that body, that one body, we are part of that one body, we all suffer together. However, you flip it too. We also find joy together. You follow? We suffer together, but we also find joy together. And so when Paul went through this chapter, he saw his brother, he saw this man who caused that big poop storm, and he goes, you know what, though? I have to remind myself and remind all of us that this person, this brother or sister that caused that uh, uh, ruckus, we also, is this. it's also the same person that I will be rejoicing with in heaven in the new kingdom to come. I have to remind myself of that. Even those who are, may not be non-Christian, they have the potential to be rejoicing with us. And therefore, we have to remind ourselves that not only do we suffer together, we need to also remind ourselves to find that we will be rejoicing together and that will enable and then so NT Wright would say this should be the foundation for forgiveness and reconciliation this should be our foundation to reconcile with our brother and sister with the people that we may have disagreements with with our colleagues our co-workers our friends our family who we disagree with that should be the foundation for reconciliation that not only do we suffer together, not only do we feel our hurts for each other, not only do we express each other, and this is why part of your marriage counseling or premarital counseling, they would say, you hurt together, you feel your hurts for each other, you, I feel your hurt and you feel my hurt, we share this hurt, but we also know that we rejoice together at the same time, that we will be rejoicing together and should be rejoicing together. All right? Chapter three. What was that all about? That was uh, Pastor Fritz's uh, uh, chapter, right? Paul was going through an identity crisis, right? He was going through an identity crisis. He was told by the Corinthians that he was worthless, useless, and irrelevant. Moyon. right? How many have heard that phrase spoken at you? That you're useless, you know, why didn't you do this? You're mo right? Like, okay, well... Wow, that would cause a lot of discomfort, right? How would you, like a church, tell you that that you planted to say you're useless, right? So what foundation did he lean on to for comfort in this chapter? It was the seal of the Holy Spirit. See, he had, Paul reminded himself, and he reminds us too, that regardless of how the world sees us, this old covenant, so to speak, you know, the whole thing about measuring up, Remember, okay, if you don't know about the Old Covenant, it's usually in the Old Testament, and it's all these commands, right, and then we can never meet them. But then we're always, but then the Israelites were always told that you have to meet them. These are the standards that you need to meet them with. If you don't meet them, you're useless. You're a sinner. You're done. right? That was the Old Covenant. How many of you feel that today? That there are some standards that you're being faced with and encountering, and, some, and you still can't meet those standards or expectations? Whether it be at work, whether it be at the relationships that you have, whether it be anything, that you, for some reason, there's this implied old covenant that just, we just can't meet, and then what results is just death. It feels like death. Sometimes it's literally death. Sometimes it's just mentally death, right? It just hurts, that discomfort. Paul faced that too. The Corinthians gave him the standard, and he goes, You know what? I can never meet that. But he was, keep on, he was, he kept on getting criticized for stumbling and for being, uh, for slurring in his speech, for not, being, not having a full stack of hair, right? Not being well-statured. Well, what did he, where did he find comfort? It was the seal of the Holy Spirit. The seal that he has, the treasure that he has in him. And he leaned on that saying, even though the world, the old covenant thinks I'm worthless, I'm useless. I, could, I know that the new covenant is in me, the Holy Spirit. The seal of the Holy Spirit, the new life that is in me, I could rely on that and remind myself that I am worth something because of what I have is the treasure in me, the Holy Spirit, the seal, the deposit, the glorious body that's coming, the new covenant. You follow so far? All right. So now we're into chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter four, and we'll begin with verse one to three. Verse 1, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Remember, folks, this is a letter, okay? This is a letter of response to another letter that was written to him, to Paul what was the accusation this time kind of similar to the previous chapter right paul you're plain. you're not special you don't have the re- piece of resistance on your back sort of speaking if you watch the lego movie right you're not special here you're, you're just this normal guy what gives you the right to have the authority right like you don't speak well you're not loud. You're not tall. You're not handsome. Like if you've seen Paul in any paintings in the Roman Catholic Church, he's like but ugly, and then uh, and he's bald. He's old. You know. And then the uh, people said that he slouched historically, right? He's not special. He's not special at all. And then and then worst of all, it's like when he speaks on the pulpit. There's no smoke coming out of the pulpit. There's no lasers. There's no like flashy light shows. There's no big globe at the back rotating. I'm implying somebody, if you don't know who I'm talking to about. But, you know, there's nothing special about him. He just preaches this gospel, the same old message, every time, apparently. And, like, the gospel, you know, Jesus died for my sins, yada, yada. I, I'm saved, yada, yada. And now, and then I have this new buddy, yada, yada. Like, okay, but that's it? Give me something really cool, like something new, something pizzazzy, like something to tickle my brain. But Paul doesn't do that. What does he say? It's plain, I know. But that's all I but that should be it. And then the Corinthians are just criticizing, what? You just blend in, you're so banal. Okay, folks, how many of you feel that way sometimes? You know, where uh, you're at work or something and then you're in a team building meeting, <laughs> right? And then uh, around the table and then, uh, and then uh, say, okay, let's have everybody's opinion, right? Everybody, like the outspoken ones get it first and then you you try to say something, and then you say something, but then no one heard you. And then everybody just goes, woof, whatever. And then no one heard you at all, and your opinion doesn't matter anymore. And then done. You're team building. You're, you're proverbially supposed to be part of a team. You, you guys nodding? Yeah, you, you get it? You know, it's like that whole idea of just being overlooked, you know, or just not feeling special at work, or you're just like being like, oh, I'm just part of the crowd, you know. Uh, or there's like other people, like better and taller, more charismatic and more louder, and... You know, uh, stuff like that. How many of us feel that way? How many of us now, just like Paul, feel that they're tempted to do something about it, like make themselves better, like maybe get, you know, make a whole makeover? How many of us are tempted on that? How many of us are tempted to say, no, I cannot, I'm not satisfied with what God made me to be. I'm gonna to try to do better. I'm gonna to try to like, you know, just try to get ahead and, like, and get more stuff, and make myself look better and stuff like that. How many of us have, are tempted in that way? Okay, let's go on. Verse four. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for your Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all this surpassing power is from God and not from us. Hmm. Notice how the NIV put God of this age with a small g. You Notice that? In in most of your versions, there would be a small g. Now this could mean anything that blinds us from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Jesus who is the image of God. The evil one is very scheming, right? He knows that the light of God is indiscriminate. The light shines everywhere. Regardless, of, like, this light is indiscriminate and it shines everywhere, so what blocks it? It's him. He's very skinny. He would try uh, like, bring up something that will block the light and for people not to see. And what is that, usually? Human pride. Right? Human pride. Like, things that we want to be, things that we want to look up to. Right? Like, N.T. Wright would say, he would just like uh, conjure up some pride and say, look, your pride's being attacked because you're being looked over. Your, your opinions don't matter. So what happens, we're tempted to try to go, wait, I wanna fight this. I wanna get get it, like, be, I wanna stick out. So what do we do? We get abs like him and try to you know make ourselves big and noticeable, right? I don't want to be a clay jar, basically. That's what clay jar means. You follow? I don't want to be a clay jar. I want to be like this, right? That's the human pride. And that's what blocks the light from shining on us. So Paul is saying that, hey, recall what you have, though. Recall that this light that you have, this treasure, that's light. This very light is the light that created the world. This, that's why he quoted Genesis. Let, shine, let the light shine out of the darkness. This very light that we all have inside of us, is the light that created the world, the whole entire universe. This, this is the image of God. Jesus is in us. He says that because it's in us, because Jesus is in us, because the light is shining in us, we're like a, yes, we do look like a normal people and we don't, may not stick out. We may look like common things, but you know what? We, it's okay because it means that we don't depend on ourselves, we depend on the light inside of us. We are who we have, Jesus. Let me say that again, we are who we have. It's Jesus inside of us. So where does Paul find comfort then in, in the form of like being irrelevant, being insignificant? He says this, if Jesus suffered the same fate of having people see him as not meeting expectations, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but who were the people that were following him, and he, when he mentioned that he was going to die on the cross, who were the people that were very disappointed? His disciples, right? The disciples goes, what? You can't die, right? Death means that you're a loser, right? I'm supposed to follow a hero, a winner, a king. You're not supposed to die, Jesus. Why are you dying, right? That's for criminals of all people. You're not supposed to die. But Jesus said, I am. Right. So then, they, so then the disciples. What did they do when he was crucified? They abandoned him. Where is Paul right now? Paul is seeing that the Corinthians are abandoning him. Paul is seeing that the suffering that he's enduring is what is that the same suffering that Jesus experienced, and is that a foundation? Yes, it is. One of the foundations that we that we lean on to, to find comfort is what? Is that Jesus suffers alongside with us. That if Jesus suffered, so has, if we suffered, so has Jesus suffered the same suffering. And therefore we find comfort that Jesus would journey with us through this suffering. If Jesus faced the same that type of suffering where he did not meet the expectations of the world, the old covenant of the people, if Paul did not meet the expectations of people and he's suffering for it, but and they still remain standing firm and get persecuted for it. By golly, we can too. If we can, if people see us as just irrelevant, not special or anything, well, guess what? We're suffering alongside with Jesus as well, with Paul. And we suffer together. But in the end, we know what we have. Second truth is the seal of the Holy Spirit. We have that treasure in us, that light in us, Jesus, the image of God, the very light that created the world is in us. You follow? that even though we see ourselves as a clay, normal clay jar, that we have this light inside of us. This Jesus, this image of God, the very light that created the world. And that is something that we can find encouragement. Let's move it on to the verse eight. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Does this really describe a hero to you? There's, there's, read this, right? Press on every side, crushed. Okay? <laughs> crushed. Meaning that, you know, your favorite superstar or whatever, like uh, a favorite team, got wiped out like my LA Kings got wiped out by the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like crushed. Is that your like idea of a hero, right? They got wiped, right? Crushed, perplexed, meaning that it's like every time they plan something, it just goes wrong, right? Like every time you plan something, it just goes wrong. It changes all the time. Is that a form of a good leader to you? And he's persecuted every single time. He's abandoned every time. He's struck down. He's, but all along he says, not abandoned. Yeah, but not abandoned and not destroyed. Why? It's because, remember, Paul relies and leans on this one truth. Again, it is a truth and foundation that we lean on, that he wants us to lean on. It is that when we suffer, We know that Jesus suffers alongside with us. This is why he is saying that even though he is persecuted, he's never abandoned. Funny though, when when Jesus was persecuted, what happened? He was, everybody left him. Paul, the same way, everybody left him. But he says he's not abandoned. But who who did not abandon him then? Jesus. Jesus suffers alongside with him. And then he says he's not destroyed. Why? Why? Because you cannot destroy the light that is inside of you, Jesus, the image of God, the light that is inside you can never be destroyed, and it's a guarantee. The seal of the Holy Spirit it's a guarantee that that will never be destroyed. So, how about us? Have some of us felt like Paul? You know, you know, between two walls, being like us, uh, felt disappointed in the outcomes, betrayed, or how about we are like how about? The times when we're being treated wrongly, do we feel the crushing weight of irrelevance? The crushing weight that's saying no, I need to like fight off this temptation to uh, to try to do this massive like like follow the world standards. Like it's very hard, right? It's very hard to fight against the world standards and to to succumb to them, right? To stand firm and and be persecuted and be crushed by the those expectations right? It's very difficult. That suffering is very difficult to stand firm against because who wants to suffer, right? But even though Paul had felt the same way, he wasn't going to succumb to like these social pressures, these crushing burdens. He says, no, I will stand firm because Jesus did. And if Jesus suffered through it, I will suffer through it. And I know that he will suffer through it with me. And at the end, I will be delivered and uh, I will have a glorious body at the end." That's the seal. So here's what N.T. Wright says to conclude. What what Paul says here, Paul says with the benefit of hindsight, but he hasn't forgotten that it didn't feel like that that when it was going on, like this suffering. This passage is an enormous comfort to all those who are going through persecution, temptation, suffering, bereavement, tragedy, and sorrow of every kind. It feels as though you are being crushed, of course it does. That's how it felt for Paul as well. But it may actually mean that you are living out the gospel. This is what being a servant of Jesus Christ is often like, is life. It is a way of making sure that neither you nor anyone else mistakes the servant for the master, the envelope for the letter. Meaning that we as the clay jars, we remain as clay jars because you know why? We do not want to divert the attention to us. We want to make sure that everybody focuses on what we have inside of us. Like, and this is what the world, they want to see pizzazz. They want to see uh, us as you know this hero, this go-getter, this charismatic individual. But really, what's really important, who we are, is what we have and who's, who we have inside of us. and that is that light, Jesus. And we don't want people to be diverted from that from that attention. All right, lastly, verse 13. It is written, I believe, therefore, I have spoken, since we have that same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You know, it's interesting here. Paul quotes a psalm. You notice those quotations over there yeah, on the, in your Bibles or on the screen here? Paul quotes a psalm, and I wonder how many times have, have each of us, when we are faced with suffering, faced with disappointment, struggles, temptations, do we actually tap into the psalms when we read? Here's what I mean. If you never read the psalms or you just read a few and then never analyzed it, you will notice something in the psalms. It always starts off with what? Praise, right, a brief one. Praise God, you know, to acknowledge who we are. But then it, it changes channels and it talks about the suffering the author is going through. Then it navigates. It's not like God's talking to him, right? It doesn't, it's not. But it's more about how the author visits those foundations and finds comfort and then at the end, finds deliverance. Finds the comfort in God and finds, and it actually has comfort in God. So I always recommend, whenever I'm in a meeting with 101, I recommend people to read the Psalms because it actually helps you to articulate and navigate through your suffering because it's almost like somebody's providing some words for you to help you to pray, all right? So, okay, let's do Psalms. So which Psalm is, is, uh, is Paul quoting here? It's Psalm 116. So if you could quickly turn to Psalm 116, that would be great. Psalm 116 Verse 1, to nine, uh, Verse one. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by the distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. See, the writer of the psalm, right in the beginning, what does he do? He appeals to God and trusts that God hears him. All right, you see that? That goes for a lot of the psalms. Basically, God, are you there? Listen to me. All right, that's basically it. In your retreat, if you join this retreat that we're going to have, this is the type of practice that you will develop. Is that God, are you here? Because I'm here now, and I want to talk to you. That's the first thing. See, so and the, so the foundation that keeps her. Uh, reminding us here is the foundation is that foundation will say God will always keep his promise that he will always listen and will always deliver that's that promise right the psalmist the one who writes the psalm, tapped into that foundation leaned on it and said God will always hear me and deliver me so God fulfill your promise you could say that to God you promised me right so listen to me all right Psalm 116 5 to 9 we move on The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Notice this is now about the current suffering that the author is going through. Current suffering. The writer, now what he's doing is remembering the suffering he had in the past. Right? Look at this. He says, For the Lord has delivered me from death. This is past tense. So he has current suffering, but then he goes, Wait a minute though. I am reminded that you have always delivered me anyway in the past. So you, Lord, you are faithful. God, you are faithful with your promise. You do deliver me. God never said a single word here. Right? He's just the author is just reminding himself that, Lord, you have been faithful to me because I still remember the things that you have delivered me from the past right? How many of us tend to think of the present and forget to be thankful of the past things that God has done for us, right? Remember, that is a good practice to do when one suffers, is to remind themselves, remind each other of what God has already done and how he delivered you and that he will deliver you again in the present suffering, all right? Next part, verse 10. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar, but what shall I return to the Lord for all his good is to me? I will lift up the cup of, cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord." Hmm. I will lift up the cup of salvation. What image does that conjure up for those who know their New Testament cup? Who took the cup of salvation? Sunday school answer. Come on. I'm tempting you here. I'm setting up the stage, putting out the curtain, rolled it out. You say it, Jesus. Jesus thank you, Jesus. Wow. Okay. So Jesus took out the cup of salvation, right? He said, like uh, a, like prayed in the to the Father, guarding Gethsemane, take this cup away, right? But by the, if it's uh, your will let your will be done, so that's the cup of salvation that we that Paul is referring to, right? The cup of salvation. Jesus, which means that, what is Paul leading on? What foundation is Paul leading on? What is foundation is the psalmist leaning on? Again, I repeated many times already. What is the foundation that this, the psalmist and Paul is leading on is the foundation that Jesus suffered already and he is suffering with us. He will journey with us through our suffering and we find comfort in it. The psalmist did it in the Old Testament back in the day, Paul did it now uh, like in, the, in 2 Corinthians, and we can do it today. The foundation that to know that Jesus suffers alongside with us. That in the midst of irrelevance, insignificance, in the midst of pressure from the world of meaning expectations, in the midst of pressure from the world, or your boss, or your company, or your friends, or family, to meet a certain standard, and you just know that that's wrong, and you want to stand firm, and that suffering that you're enduring, the persecution you're enduring, the judgment that you're enduring, You know full well that Jesus suffered as well. And he is suffering with you. And you will be pulled through because the second promise is what God will deliver you from the suffering. Follow? You see, he goes on in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Notice what the what the world tends to see is what they see. It's not the unseen, it's what is it, what they see as face value. Right? It sometimes is very hard to. Uh, I was talking to one of the uh, my leaders. You you know her Wu Nai. She's, uh, she was on the executive series. You know what is the toughest thing to be uh, like a, to face a, as a woman, Asian woman, in a senior executive role. You never get the respect. Your opinions seem to not count. Like it's just natural. It's just you get overlooked, right? And and she t- t- says that is a challenge. You know, you try to meet these standards. You try to like uh, even like uh, try to fulfill, go above and beyond. You work long hours, and you know full well that you can't, right? So then I say, what do you do? You st- and I go. I stand firm. I know that I might risk my job. I know I might like, get persecuted for it. I might, I know that my boss might not like it, right? But I know that it's wrong to sacrifice like uh, my Sundays, sacrifice my family for the sake of my position, for the sake of meeting the world standards. Right? And how do you stand firm? And she goes, because I know that Jesus suffered with me. Jesus is right there with me. And Jesus will honor that. Like, and uh, So therefore, what is seen and unseen? This is what Paul meant by unseen and, and, seen and unseen. Is that the world just sees what is in front of them. But we know what is unseen is right here inside of us. And who is inside of us. What do you mean by worn out? Like he says uh, decay and worn out, yet being renewed each day. You know, like as Christians, we're really good at, you know, Christianese, right? We talk about brokenness, right? Everyone heard about the word brokenness, right? We suffer, we're broken. Well, when ever seen a clay jar like that, those things get wear and tear, right? You know, because most of these clay jars are used outside. So, you know, the weather keeps pounding on it, right? So, as the clay jar breaks, right, what's inside of the clay, jars of clay in our scripture? The light. The light, right? When, the, like, the, what's inside the clay jar is, is light, like a, what Paul says. The light, that Jesus, the image of God, the glory of God is inside the clay jar. So, when the clay jar breaks, what shines out? The light. Interesting enough that that's the Christian irony. The more we suffer, the more we break. In our brokenness, the world sees light. In our brokenness, in our midst of suffering, that's how the gospel is shown to the world. It's through our faithfulness and trust in our brokenness that people will see the light. Interesting, isn't it? It is through our brokenness so and not through our trying to build these walls the making the clay jar more pizzazzy and paint it, renew it, renovate it. No, it is the more the jar is broken, the more cracks, the more the light will shine through it, right? Leonard Cohen actually made that song out of it, right? The cra- the more cracks, the light shines through, and I firmly believe that the, Paul was saying this, the same thing. As the the clay jar continues to wear and tear, he says, wasting away. What does he say? We are being renewed day by day. What does he mean by that? It means that the light is shining more and more outwardly. We're being renewed, meaning the light is shining more and more. Jesus is shining out. The more we suffer, the more we are broken, the more we are going through trials and temptations. The more we stand firm and get persecuted, lo and behold, the more of Christ is shown out of us to the world. And that is what I want to leave you today. Is that if you are in the midst of suffering right now, if you are in the midst of like, people telling you, oh, you know, you, you, you know, how come you're not getting married? <laughs> right? Like, you're single still. Or, or how about at work, right? You're not expecting, a, you're not meeting expectations. Or, you know, like, you're not making expectations with your family. And you're, you're going, oh, but I know that this is just worldly stuff. I want to stand firm against it. Why am I being judged about it? I'm suffering through this. Know full well that through your trust and faithfulness to, and leaning on Jesus and leaning on God's promise, that the more you, you're going through this, the more the world around you sees the light, sees why you're, you're so faithful, why you're trusting in God. They see the light because the more cracks, the more brokenness, the light shines through. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.